This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers. Happy New Year and welcome to the first DCA Wednesday episode of 2024. We have an exciting year of stacking ahead of each other, and hopefully this will be just one of many DCA Wednesday episodes as we continue to grow that stack together for at least as long as someone is willing to sell us their precious Bitcoin. Today is also the 15th anniversary of the Bitcoin Genesis block. Many people consider that Bitcoin's birthday. Others consider White Paper Day to be Bitcoin's birthday. But nonetheless, Bitcoin has been live for 15 years. It is also Proof of Keys Day, which is uh, something we'll get into a little bit more after the news. And speaking of news, I really, really want to thank the troll who tanked the price of Bitcoin this morning with the uh, unsubstantiated report that the SEC was going to announce they were denying all the spot Bitcoin ETFs. Like so many, I have mixed feelings about the ETFs, and if you're a regular listener, you've heard me express them many times, Uh, but I do find it hard to believe that approving the ETFs would not be like pouring gasoline, or in this case, rocket fuel on the fire. Uh, With the having now less than four months away, it really feels like we are set up for the perfect storm, Uh, and I say that as someone, I say that as someone who's always been skeptical of the this time is different narratives, because I've been through enough cycles now that I can remember hearing this time is different. Every single one of them, even including as far back as, you know, the 2016 having when the narrative was this was going to be the super cycle. There were going to be no more cycles. It was going to be the cycle to end all cycles. So we didn't see that play out. Rhyming remarkably close to 2019, 2023 began as the year of the crab market, but definitely ended full of excitement and optimism. According to CoinMarketCap, Bitcoin started 2023 at a price of 16,547 US dollars and ended the year at 42,265, almost 3x from what uh, hopefully turned out to be the cycle low is looking like it's going to be the cycle low unless we have another black swan event right before the halving. Uh, And that has happened before, as I've mentioned multiple times, the previous cycles, actually we saw a Pretty good sell-off a month or two before the having, You know, of course, last cycle, it was because of the thing that all the uh, non-essential workers were forced to stay home. The economy was shut down. That was clearly a black swan. But it just seems like it's funny how we we tend to have a black swan every cycle. And, uh, you know, maybe if, maybe if the ATFs really did get denied, that'll be the black swan. But I think we've already seen that card played, even though the reports are looking like they're going to be unsubstantiated. Uh, and while it did tank the price of Bitcoin, it was certainly nowhere near en- uh, hard enough to, to set a new cycle low, for example. At the time of this recording, we are sitting at a Bitcoin price of $42,890 or 2,332 sats per dollar. And the current block height is 824,234, which puts us a mere 15,766 blocks away from the next Bitcoin having. The minor reward having, as you know, that occurs every 210,000 blocks. And in this case, it's looking like that's going to occur approximately on April 19th. We don't know exactly when it's going to occur because 
well, we know it'll we know it will occur exactly at block 840,000, but depending on how slow or how fast blocks are found, on average, that could be anywhere between the beginning of April or even as late as May. But most estimates now are looking like it's going to be around April 19th. And as we get closer, that's looking more and more likely. Before we get into all that, though, let's get back into the vital statistics. I kind of got a little ahead of myself uh, because we were talking about the year-end price, and that led right into price, which led into the statistics. Uh, Bitcoin's current price, despite the big sell-off, is pretty much, well, it's, it's a little bit lower than we were last DCA Wednesday. Last DCA Wednesday, Bitcoin is valued at 43365 or 2,306 sats per dollar. So uh, less than 30 sats per dollar less we're, we're, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're going to receive. That's the good thing. Uh, just a little under 30 sats per dollar more for our US dollar conversion today when we get around to stacking that filthy fiat. Uh, and that's awesome because I really thought we would probably never stack below 45,000 ever again. Uh, but who knows? I don't have a crystal ball and, and Bitcoin could do anything price wise, even in just this short amount of time that we're going to be talking before we go ahead and make that stack. For those of you paying attention, Bitcoin's market capitalization is down about $10 billion because of the price dip, currently ringing in at a market cap of $839.8 billion. That's still pretty darn high. That's that's only where we were back on December 13th for our DCA Wednesday stack. So pretty much in line with where we've been all of December, despite the fact that there's been a dip. Of course, the, se the last several DCA Wednesdays in a row, we'd always had a dip like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and, and the price had recovered just in time for our DCA Wednesday stack. So um, we're still trending up and to the right when you zoom out. And that's the neat thing about our DCA Wednesday series, our dollar cost average Wednesday series. Instead of staring at the price every day, uh, like a lot of people tend to, and some podcasts even do, we only really look at the price once a week. And that definitely has smoothed things out quite a bit. Although it definitely can still see that up into the right trend. And boy, howdy, because 2023 has been a good year for uh, for Bitcoin, especially if you if you take it from a frame of reference of that cycle low around, around $16,000. For those of you who still value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, Bitcoin, despite the fact it's dropped in U.S. dollar terms, will still cost you 21.3 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin, exactly the same as last week. A little bit cheaper for you gold bugs because of the dump this uh, this morning. So be warned, as I mentioned in many podcasts, including last podcast, uh, I believe that by the end of 2024, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin in terms of uh, we're going to be using the reference of pounds of gold per Bitcoin, not ounces of gold per Bitcoin. We're already over a pound of gold per Bitcoin, but at 21.3 ounces of gold, we're still in that refer to refer to it in uh, ounces of gold, 21.3 one ounce gold coins per Bitcoin. But, you know, you get the you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. And for Peter Schiff, it's going to be a heck of a lot more than 21.3 ounces of gold if he ever gets on board, unless he's just trolling us and he's already got a fat stack. I'm not a person in the Peter camp, the Peter Schiff camp that believes he uh, he know that he that he's just fibbing that he really has a uh, that he really has a fat stack. I really think he's that twisted. You know, his dad his dad was kind of a really renegade libertarian, died in prison, and I think he's got daddy issues more so than just being crafty. I mean, he is smart. He, you know, he did see you know the 2028 financial crisis coming, etc. But I think he's got. I think his his I think his gold fixation is has got a lot to do with his daddy issues more than an actual hatred for Bitcoin. 
Um, but I digress. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 2,397 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is more than a pizza once a day for more than six and a half years. Not quite as many pizzas as last week because of the dip, but uh, you know, that's a metric that's going to be really weird when we get like the pizza flipping instead of Laszlo paying 10,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas when it's 10,000 pizzas for one Bitcoin. I think that'll be the official pizza flipping. I, I don't like the term flipping and I don't like the term having. I say Bitcoin having. If you say having, you know, whatever you choose, but uh, I just use the term flipping. Uh, and I caught myself thinking, you know, I really don't like that term. But nonetheless, I do anticipate the day when we have the quote unquote pizza flipping and we, we can purchase more than 10,000 pizzas per one Bitcoin. And that looks like it's coming faster than you might think. TikTok next block up into the right. Regardless where Bitcoin tops out this cycle, uh, it's going to be a lot more than 2,397 pizzas for Bitcoin. That is for sure. The mempool is looking completely jammed up again. Those ordinals and inscriptions just will not go away or have not gone away. I listened to a podcast where they were talking about this situation just the other day, and he was kind of alluding to the, the fact that there might be some big money attacking Bitcoin with ordinals on purpose. And if that's the case, they had up to maybe $8 billion to spend in fees, which ultimately is a good thing if you're a miner, because we'll take that $8 billion and then when you run out, ordinals can be relegated to the crypto kitty dustbin, uh, and uh, and miners will just be a lot richer. But in the meantime, there are approximately 102 blocks where the transactions pending in Clark Moody's mempool. That is a whopping increase from last week when there were only 39 blocks of transactions in Clark Moody's mempool. I'm scrolling all the way through my notes, and I don't find a single day on the last year or two when we had more than 100 blocks. Pending. Maybe he changed his algorithm a little bit, his mempool space size, because you know there's a little bit of controversy, especially if you listen to Marty Bent and Rabbit Hole Recap, where they mentioned that mempool.space shows a lot more transactions pending than Clark Moody's does, and that's because mempools have a, a default size, and after they fill up, they just won't allow any more transactions, or they'll start purging transactions, and mempool.space has a larger mempool, but we had always been using Clark Moody's mempool, because before ordinals and inscriptions, it wasn't a problem. We never really got to the point where it made a difference. And now that we now that now even though that it has made a difference for the purposes of consistency, I still like to reference Clark Moody's dashboard. Maybe he made a tweak, which will make that all moot. Uh, although I think so because there's still quite a big difference uh, between him and mempool.space. And speaking of on-chain activity, Clark Moody's fee estimator says that because of all those transactions, it will cost you a fee of 231 sats per V-byte to guarantee your Bitcoin block or your Bitcoin transaction is included in the next block. That is actually down from last week when he, they were recommending 396 sats per V-byte. Mempool.space is telling a very similar story as far as trending downward and fees trending downward. They are significantly cheaper. Their fee is significantly cheaper than the fee that uh, Clark Moody's fee estimator is recommending. Mempool.space's fee estimator says if you want to guarantee a high priority transaction is mined right away, that you need to include a fee of 57 sats per V byte, which works out to about $3.42 and is about one third of what they were recommending last week. So that's a that's a big drop off. Uh, they are recommending that if you have a medium, low, or no priority transaction, you should be including a fee of 54, 52, or 44 sats per V byte accordingly. Whereas Clark Moody's dashboard says that a six sat per V byte transaction will still be mined within a week, 
I don't think I've actually ever seen that happen recently. If you're looking at the very last block, the block that rolled in right before we started recording, block 824,234, its fee span was anywhere from 55 sats per V-byte all the way up to 1,000 five sats per V-byte with an average fee of 68 sats per V-byte. So if you have an on-chain transaction you have to make and it needs to get confirmed right away, you'll probably want to take a look at mempool.space or Clark Moody's dashboard or wherever you get your data and make sure you have the most up-to-date uh, fee estimates if you, uh, if you can't afford to wait. If you can't afford to wait, of course, fortunately, there are things like replace by fee or child's pace for parent that will allow you to bump that fee up if you lowball it and your, and your transaction doesn't get mined right away. But I personally would feel comfortable uh, sending a 65 sat per V-byte transaction right now uh, because those have been clearing relatively, relatively consistently looking looking back through the block explorer. All right, that metric that you know has been my favorite for most of this podcast, Bitcoin's 24-hour average transaction rate is down. Uh, it's currently, Bitcoin's currently averaging 5.81 transactions per second. Last week, we were averaging 6.87 transactions per second. And again, this isn't any kind of official metric that, that I know of that anybody else has been espousing. It's just something I've noticed by giving the stats every Wednesday when we do our DCA Wednesday episodes that every time transaction rate has been surging, that corresponded to the price going up. And when the transaction volume was trending down, so was the price. And that holds true today because uh, there's more than one transaction per second fewer on average right now on chain and the Bitcoin price has trended down today. So that metric still holds. Who knows whether that will be the case, but for the meantime, uh, we're going to keep we're going to keep studying that metric because I do find it interesting. At least they don't say, you know, they say that co uh, correlation is not causation. They, they might not have anything to do with each other, but we've been doing this podcast for more than two years. And I don't think pretty much without exception, we've seen, uh, we've seen that rule broken yet. So even with the ordinals and inscriptions completely bloating uh, the on-chain trans transaction metric, because before taproot, before ordinals and inscriptions, you'd never really see more than four transactions per second max and then we've seen you know as high as uh seven or eight, seven or eight transactions per second uh, after after that because the 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 brc20 token minting and the ordinals and inscription transactions are all very they're not very not, not necessarily very small but their 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 data mostly takes up the the signature of the the header of the transaction which allows them to be cheap because segwit uh split that block weight to where um, that portion of the transaction only paid about a quarter percent of the fee that um, that the the meat of the transaction pays. And, and that's part of the reason why so many people are upset about ordinals and descriptions because they're jamming the blockchain full of data and paying a super discounted rate to do so. We have not had a Bitcoin mining difficulty adjustment since we last spoke. We are on track to have one in about two days. Looks like it's going to be on January 5th. It's about, well, it's exactly 310 blocks from now. And it's looking like it's going to be a moderate difficulty increase. Uh, it had been looking like it was going to be a decrease for a while. And then last Wednesday, it was looking like we were going to have about a 0.7 to 1.7% difficulty increase. And that's holding because depending where you get your data, we're looking at an increase of anywhere from 0.6 to 1.7% in difficulty. The difficulty, the hash rate, uh, the difficulty computing difficulty to find the next Bitcoin block. As you know, 
the Bitcoin protocol adjusts the difficulty it takes to mine a Bitcoin every 200 or every 210,000 blocks. That's the having every 2016 blocks, which theoretically works out to about every two weeks with the goal of finding one new block every 10 minutes. And currently blocks are averaging nine minutes and 57 seconds, which is why we're looking at a small difficulty increase. The idea being that that would bring the transaction time up to 10 minutes and zero seconds on average. We tend to seesaw above and beyond that average. You very rarely see exactly 10 minutes on average during a difficulty epic. Uh, but, you know, it, that's because it, it's an average. And that's why they average it out over 2016 blocks, because the more data you get, the more likely your average is to, is to, to be, of, you know, it, that, you're, that you will be that you will be on the average will be on average. For example, and I'm stumbling over my words today. It's been a long day, plebs. It's been in some ways a very good day. I uh, started the day out on the beach watching uh, watching a rocket launch. In fact, if you're listening from Sweden and you're doing so uh, by uh, I don't know how to pronounce the company Ovzom or Ov Ovzon O V Z O N. They're a broadband internet satellite provider in, in Sweden or based in Sweden, and they launched the Ovzon 3 satellite tonight. So perhaps you'll be listening to the Bitcoin Bulletin podcast or uh, communicating over the satellite I just watched launch today. And because it was a SpaceX launch, that booster returned back to Cape Canaveral and landed. That's always super cool, too, because the landing zone is a lot closer to where I watch on the beach than the, than the launch pad is. And you get that double sonic boom when the rocket does its, when it, when it fires up its landing burn, it's still going supersonic. So right before, uh, right before, right before touchdown, they break the sound barrier and it takes a little while because, you know, speed of sound travels about 700 miles an hour or so, depending where you're at, depending on the air density. And we're three or four miles away from, from the landing zone. So a couple seconds later, you get that boom, 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 boom. And it's, uh, or depending on how many boosters are landing. The really cool thing about SpaceX is when they launch a heavy, you get two sets of double sonic booms. Uh, and we had that just the other day. So. For us space nerds, it's been a great week to be living here on the space coast of Florida, and I'm getting way off track. So we just went over, we just went over, uh, we just went over mining difficulty, and now we're at the point in the podcast where I want to talk a little bit of business on air. Before I do so, I want to thank those of you who listen on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain. Listening via podcasting 2.0 lets you help support your favorite podcasts via the value for value model, where you can stream sats on a permanent basis or send a boost, which is a lightning message where you can basically send a shout out. And, it, and because it's a lightning transaction, you're sending some, some sats as well. Speaking of fountain, it was reported to me last, that last week's episode was really horrible for some European fountain listeners. Apparently there is some sort of bug with fountain, at least with fountain listeners in Europe, where it was clipping or compressing the audio and the audio quality was just horrid. Thank you, Leggy, for helping me troubleshoot that. Leggy sent me a clip of what it sounded like, and it was very perplexing because I played the podcast back on Fountain here, and it, it played just fine for me. I played it on Apple Podcasts, and I went, the podcast itself, the file is hosted on Spotify. I double-checked the original file. It was fine. In theory, regardless of where you're listening, they should be pulling my audio off of the RSS feed, uh, so it should all be the same. The only thing that I guess we could figure out, because this has also affected other podcasts, is that Spotify had some sort of code in it that's trying to clean up audio, and in uh, whatever the cause was, it made it made last week's podcast potentially unlistenable. So if that was the case for you, I do apologize. Leggy did say they listened to the podcast on Google Podcasts, 
and it was just fine on Google Podcasts. Uh, and speaking of Leggy, Leggy did Leggy also sent us a boost this week, and that is that is really that's really flattering considering that the that that Leggy was doing us doing us double time favors by helping us troubleshoot this, and uh, and that that had to put up with such horrible podcast audio quality. So Leggy sent three thousand sats and says, "I hope Fountain fixes the audio problem." I'm told there are only three guys. I'm told there are only three guys, so it could take some time. Well, thank you for the boost, Leggy. Thank you for bringing this problem to my attention in the first place. Thank you for helping me troubleshoot it. Uh, I was having a little hard time grokking exactly what the situation was because it was like three o'clock in the morning, Florida time. I had been up working on something else and was just about ready to go to bed when I when I got a DM from Leggy. So thank you for the boost. Thank you for helping me troubleshoot that. Hopefully you're listening on Fountain tonight and that this podcast sounds normal and that they took care of whatever the problem is. If you're out there listening on Fountain and my voice is clipping or the audio just sounds completely like garbage, as much as I hate to say it, um, perhaps try listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify where this podcast is hosted or or another podcast provider of your choosing and, and, and hopefully that will take care of the problem. But first and foremost, hopefully, hopefully Spotify fixed whatever that issue was. Speaking of listeners, our geographic distribution of listeners has remained exactly the same. The top 10 countries remain as follows. Number one is the United States. So thank you to all my fellow Americans listening to this podcast. Number two remains Argentina. So muchos gracias amigos in Argentina. Number three remains Germany. So danke schön, mein friends in Deutschland. Number four remains Luxembourg. Again, danke schön, mein friends in Luxembourg or Morien to those who speak Luxembourgish. Number five remains Canada. And while it's a crisp day on the beach here, it's about 17 degrees Celsius for those of you who use Celsius, uh, which is not too terribly uh, bad. It's not a nice sunny day, but it's it's not frigid cold either. And I imagine it's a lot worse in Canada or uh, many of the countries where where you may be listening. But thank you to those of you listening in the frozen white north. Number six remains Spain, so muchos gracias, amigos, in Spain. Number seven remains Colombia, again, muchos gracias. Very flattering that we have so many Spanish-speaking countries out there, so many, as, uh, so many Spanish-speaking listeners amongst our audience. Number eight remains Sweden. Number nine remains the United Kingdom. And number 10 remains Singapore. So thank you to every one of you, regardless of where you're listening from. Uh, it is really, really cool, really flattering, really gratifying that that you guys are scattered all over the world, that this is truly an international audience, which I guess isn't surprising because Bitcoin is truly international. But considering this is an English language podcast and we have so many people from countries where English isn't the official or native language, uh, that's really cool. So uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart and uh, we hope you continue to keep listening. All right, to the news, as I mentioned in the intro, today is Bitcoin's 15th birthday. Again, many of you consider Bitcoin's birthday to be white paper day, but today is the 15th anniversary of the Genesis block, that block that Satoshi Nakamoto mined on January 3rd, 2009, with the embedded headline from the Times saying, the Times, 3 January 2009, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for the banks, uh, which is a reminder of exactly why he launched Bitcoin, because it was just in the, the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. The bank bailouts, the uh, you know, the bank bailouts of two thousand eight, you know, not the never ending bank bailouts that it seems like we keep uh, we keep experiencing and will probably experience until fiat is no longer a thing, or at least fractional reserve banking is no longer a thing. But in addition 
to being Bitcoin Genesis Block Day. Today is also Proof of Keys Day. And Proof of Keys Day has kind of lost some of its meaning because now the mantra is, of course, get your Bitcoin off exchanges, never keep your Bitcoin on exchanges. But it, back in the day, uh, it was not so much get your Bitcoin off exchanges. I mean, it was the, there was the whole not your keys, not your coin thing, but it was a lot more common that people just kept their keys on exchanges. And the worry then was proof of reserves, was that the, you know, these exchanges don't necessarily have your Bitcoin and you might be just one day away from getting them out goxed or BlockFied more recently. And so the idea was this was to test the exchanges. It was almost like a coordinated bank run. And the uh, the idea was was first proposed by by Bitcoin OG, self-titled hodler of last resort and former host of the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, Trace Mayer. Uh, he created Proof of Keys Day in 2019 with the idea that not only should you be holding your keys, but that by having Bitcoiners remove their keys from exchanges all at once in a coordinated banner, it would dramatically demonstrate which exchanges actually had your Bitcoin and which didn't. The, you know, the whole, when the tide goes out, you see who's wearing a bathing suit and who's not thing. So-called proof of reserves. Of course, if you're new, if this is your first cycle, you might not have any idea who Trace Mayer is. And the fall of Trace Mayer was sudden and shocking. Bitcoin is one of those areas, was one of those things where we, we tend to slay our heroes. You know, they say never put people on a pedestal because it seems like every cycle we lose one. And, uh, Trace Mayer went completely radio silent after an unfortunate episode of S Coinery where he was promoting, uh, I think it was Mimble Wimble Token, uh, was it Grin? I don't remember what he was promoting. He was promoting a shit coin and he was doing it at Tone Vase's unconfiscatable conference of all places. At the time, the single biggest Bitcoin maxi, Bitcoin only conference that there was. And uh, this led to him being called out and humiliated at the conference. They have something called the Scammy Awards, uh, where they where they where they present you know awards in in humor to the biggest scammers in the in the crypto space. And uh, in this case, he was in the audience, and I, I and uh, and and they called him out hard and in person. And and we haven't heard from him since. Okay, back to present day, as is often the case. The price leads the news, and as I already mentioned, apparently false rumors that the SEC was posed to deny the Bitcoin spot ETFs led Bitcoin to drop from well over 45,000, in fact, it was a little over 45,500, to as low as about 40,600, but uh, for rebounding, recovering somewhat to where we currently are. Um, the headlines, there are multiple headlines out there in the, in the media, but this one from Newsweek, for example, pretty much sums it, sums it all up. Crypto platform accused of blowing up Bitcoin. Cryptocurrency market participants denounced Thielen's report because his bearish outlook is in contrast to the bullish predictions that have been driving up Bitcoin's price over recent months since the start of the year. Bitcoin has risen more than 150%, bolstered by the widespread anticipation of the, an SEC approval for the Bitcoin ETF. The Street ran the headline, ETF analysts confident nothing to indicate anything but approval as Bitcoin price dips. So it was after the, uh, after the, what was kind of like a, a bombshell accusation, people actually started digging in and, and going over the facts and, and looking at what is actually going on. Uh, and so the street says, as of, after a wild morning liquidations, ETF rumors and Bitcoin price action reiterated how central institutions are near, are for the near, are how, how central institutions are for the near future of crypto, maybe placing a little bit too much emphasis on 
financial institutions and, and institutional money because, you know, even though we saw the price of Bitcoin tank, it didn't break into the 30s. And maybe if we saw a real, uh, you know, real SEC announcement coming out and and uh, denying all the spot at Bitcoin ETFs, we might, we might dip as low as back into the 30s. Uh, eventually, though, none of that will matter because we're just a couple of months away from the halving. Bitcoin will shake it off. Maybe that'll be just like in 2020 where everything crashed for about a day. But by June, Bitcoin was you know on its way to all-time record highs. Even the stock markets were recovering. So um, as I'm saying, that the people that started looking into what's actually going on, it, it appears that, the, that these, this claim is completely baseless. Obviously, I don't know what the SEC is going to do. And I have mixed feelings on whether they should approve an ETF or not whether the ETF will be good for Bitcoin in the long run or not. Uh, but that being said, it sure looks like they're on track to actually approve one this year. We've spoken about this on many occasions because I started out under the mindset that there was no way the SEC was going to approve a Bitcoin ETF, especially not this close to the halving because it's in the government's best interest to kind of try and blunt this next bull run because they know they can't kill Bitcoin, but if they can just knock the top off and keep it from three, four, five Xing, you know the, the the new all-time high this cycle that they can they can keep it uh, from being as impactful as it is to keep people keep normies from adopting it uh, to delay the inevitable to delay hyperrecognition. However, with events like CZ's plea bargain and Binance bending the knee to the SEC, and with Sam Bankman-Fried's prosecution clearing up a lot of the reasons that the SEC had for denying the spot could spot Bitcoin ETF last time. Now out of the way, I was starting to think, okay, well, maybe it's starting to look more likely that, that they will actually approve an ETF. And I was still at a point where I could flip a coin where I didn't, you know, I, I'm not, I definitely wouldn't call myself confident that they were going to approve the ETF. But as we get closer and these companies that are, that have these pending ETFs are, are running commercials, they're spending money to promote their ETFs, things that you wouldn't think they would do if they weren't very confident that the ETFs were going to be approved. And then today, the reports are that the SEC has been meeting with the different exchanges to finalize the last few details that need to be put in place before the ETFs would begin trading, something you don't think the SEC would be wasting their time doing if they intended to deny the ETFs. So, for example, Bitcoin Magazine, who's come under a lot of deserved scrutiny recently for some of their uh, positions, especially when it comes to the taproot wizards and ordinals and inscriptions, etc., their headline says, SEC to finalize comments on SpotCoin BTFs with stock exchanges today. Investing.com has a very similar headline with Bitcoin ETF, SEC meets exchanges for final talks. And finally, the optimistic headline from Bloomberg saying, Spot Bitcoin ETF is getting SEC approval no matter what. And actually that says it's quoting Bloomberg. It's not actually on Bloomberg. It says it's from Cryptopolitan on MSN.com. And they're quoting Bloomberg analyst Eric Balkanus basically saying that this thing's coming and uh, it's just a matter of time and that time is sooner rather than later. And of course, while all that's going on, the U.S. national debt just topped $34 trillion. CNN running the headline, U.S. national debt hits record $34 trillion. The U.S. government's debt has topped $34 trillion for the first time, just weeks ahead of looming deadlines for Congress to agree to new federal funding plans. So maybe um, maybe the you know the SEC just knows that they that they can't delay the the 
ETS whether they want to deny them or not. Maybe it has something to do with a lawsuit that the SEC lost uh, with Grayscale, or or maybe they just know the time has come and they've delayed. You know, we were first talking about Bitcoin ETFs in like 2016 with like Gemini, right, and the Winklevi, the Winklevoss twins. So they've managed to delay this thing almost 10 years. So maybe they maybe they're just planning and throwing in the towel uh, if they go ahead and approve it, or maybe it's all just smoke and mirrors because you know they're. Uh, they're, they know they know that bigger feces are about to hit the air oscillating devices. Uh, and also, they know that they're going to need out of the SEC one of these days. And when they go into private business, they're going to want to work for companies like Fidelity and BlackRock. And these are the companies that are pushing these, SES, uh, these, um, these ETFs. So a little bit of scratch my back, kind of feather their nest for the future. Or it could just all be smoke and mirrors because uh, there's a lot of other news that dropped today. To kind of obscure the fact that the U.S. dollar continues to uh, get weaker and weaker, that the co- the country in general continues to get further and further in debt, it's going to get harder and harder to pay that off, if not impossible. So while, for example, the debt is not well, the debt is fairly well related to Bitcoin because uh, you know it's the antithesis of Bitcoin is the antithesis of fiat currency, the ultrasound hardest money ever known to man. I almost used another Ethereum speakism with ultrasound money. But it really is ultrasound money, regardless of the fact that, you know, Vitalik tried to use that to uh, rebrand Ethereum. However, not related to Bitcoin at all, but equally in the bread and circuses column is the release of the uh, 87 people named in the lawsuit by Virginia uh, Guffrey about uh, when she sued when she sued Jelaine Maxwell over Epstein Island, over what was going on with that debauchery. Uh, so the headlines all today are the list, names released. So uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there, a lot of, hey, look over there. And if that isn't enough, in addition to the uh, the the Epstein smoke and mirrors, the uh, all the other political drama that's going on, there are rumors released, the rumors posted on Twitter today that the DEA is poised to reclassify marijuana, potentially legalizing it at the federal level. Well, I know many of you are definitely in favor of that with it officially being a presidential election year, however, and with the incumbent being pretty much the least popular president ever to face re-election, at least in modern times, and the economy balancing on the brink of a session. If this isn't a let them eat cake moment, then there never has been one. So the smoke and mirrors are out, the distractions are out in full force, and uh, maybe part of that maybe part of that has to do with the uh, SEC's pending decision on the Bitcoin ETFs. I guess that's all just speculation because I'm sure some people know, but I'm not one of them. And most people who tell you they know for sure, unless they're Gary Gensler or sit on the board of the Securities and Exchange Commission, don't really know. All right. So I mentioned this was going to be our first DCA Wednesday stack of 2024. And so it is. And if you've never listened to us before, welcome aboard. You might be asking what DCA is. And DCA is short for dollar cost averaging, and dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 128th stack. We started stacking every Wednesday back on July 28, 2021. We're coming up on three years. So far, we've stacked 127 times, converting a total of 2,540 filthy U.S. dollars into 8,633,159 sats. And we've done so at an average purchase price now of $29,421.44. So back to the meat and potatoes. 
our equal portion is $20. And I chose $20 because I wanted to choose an amount that any of you listening, regardless of where you're listening from, should be able to, to, to come up with if you're planning on investing in Bitcoin. Oftentimes you hear people say on social media, am I too late? And I only have X number of dollars, whether it's 500 or a thousand. Sometimes it's like, I only have $10,000. Is it even worth it at this point? And so I chose $20 for equal portion because I wanted to show we're not too late. We're still going to be able to stack a meaningful stack of sats. And regardless of how much money that you have, that you've chosen, that you want to convert into Bitcoin, it isn't too little. It will make a difference one day. And I think we've definitely proven that because just $20 a week for a little over two and a half years, we've amassed eight. 0.6 million sats. Uh, and one day that will be more Satoshis than the average person in the world will be capable, be, will be capable of purchasing at any price. If you take the fact that there will only ever be 21 million sats and divide that by the, by the total population of the world to grow that stack. As always, we've been using the handy dandy cash app. I've had my beefs with cash app. They are not a sponsor of the show. I still think they're the easiest way to stack Bitcoin they did change their fee structure a couple weeks ago to something that had me a little upset. But uh, despite the fact they charge one of the bigger fees at two and a quarter percent, and despite the fact they also charge a spread on top of that, they still let us transfer money to our Cash App, convert that money to Bitcoin, and transfer that money out of Cash App into our hardware wallet immediately without any waiting periods. And they let us do the transfer for free and as expensive as on-chain fees have been recently especially when it comes to withdrawing from an exchange where they won't let you name the minor fee. They set it for you. So there's no set it at six sats per VBite and hope it goes. You pay whatever they say you're going to pay, and it's always at the high end. So if you're talking a $15 or $20 mining fee, the $0.45 cents we're going to spend in fees to buy Bitcoin today is, is kind of moot. So again, uh, Cash App is not a sponsor of the show, and they might not even be available where you're listening. In fact, they probably aren't if you're not in the United States. But if they are available to you and you aren't using them, there is a referral code in the show notes. And if you sign up for uh, Cash App using that referral code, you'll get $5 free for just doing so. And the podcast will get $5 free as well. So you will get paid to help support the podcast. There are other uh, services such as Strike and Fold, etc., that uh, have referral links in the show notes. Again, none of those are sponsors. They're just services that I use and anybody who uses those services get a friend and family referral code to where if you refer somebody to the service, you get something for free. So if you are looking for a way to stack sats and you want to use strike, you want to use cash app, or you want to use fold because the fold card also lets you purchase Bitcoin. Now, please consider clicking on the link and using our referral code to do so you'll help support the podcast and you'll get something for free that you would not have gotten if you just go to their website and sign up. But I digress. I've got cash app open. I do not have any money on cash app, but I have my debit card linked to my Cash App account. And as I already mentioned, they will let me transfer money from my debit card to my Cash App immediately. So I've already sent $20 and it's already on my Cash App. So then it's just as easy as tapping on Bitcoin, tapping buy, entering $20, tapping confirm, and boom, just like that, we purchased another 45,733 sats. Bitcoin dropped a little bit in price while I've been talking. We bought at a price of $42,748 uh, US dollars per Bitcoin. And that raises our total stack 
up to 8,678,892 sats. And it also increases our average cost basis. Again, not quite as much as it did last week, but we've increased our average purchase price by $75.41. But our still, our cost basis is still $29,496.85. And that is a lot cheaper than what the current price of Bitcoin is. And uh, one of these days, and in the not too distant future, people are going to be looking saying, you got lucky. I can't believe you bought at an average of 29000 Or you got lucky. I can't believe you only bought Bitcoin for $43,000. Or you got lucky. You only bought Bitcoin for 50000 You bought Bitcoin before it was over 100000 You didn't deserve that money. You just got lucky. Uh, mark my words. They will say that. And remind yourself, steal your hands, that this isn't luck. When you invested your first $20 or whatever it was, and you didn't know much about Bitcoin, you didn't know whether it was going to go to zero or whether the hype was true. After a cycle or two, things start to feel normal. Uh, you know, your first having cycle, watching the euphoric bull run, Bitcoin's going to go to the moon. People start talking about the super cycle. There aren't going to be any more cycles. Bitcoin's going to break a million. There's going to be institutional adoption. It's going to take over the world. And then you get that 80% pullback and people actually start wondering if Bitcoin's really dead or not. Uh, and that repeats every four years. And I have no reason to believe it won't repeat again. But I also don't have a crystal ball, and I don't know what that euphoric blow-off top is going to be. I've heard fair estimates that I would agree with, people speculating it's going to be anywhere between 150000 or 300000 There's people betting a million. Who knows? A lot of that has to do potentially with these ETFs. And even more importantly, with things like when the price of Bitcoin does set a new all-time high and people look at El Salvador and they see what Naya Bukele did and they look at Michael Saylor and Michael's strategy all of a sudden becoming one of the most valuable companies in the world and going, holy cow, they only sell $100 million of the software a year. How did they become the 10th most valuable company in the world? Well, they did it with Bitcoin. I want to do that too. I'm a small real estate company or I make you know alternators for cars or tractor parts or I own a chain of grocery stores and I want to be one day the in the top 10 most valuable countries, companies in the world. And the only way I can do that is by by going full Michael Saylor, when that starts to happen, because there's only 21 million Bitcoin out there ever, there aren't even 21 million yet, but there will only ever be 21 million, and because they're not buying any of mine, and I know they're not buying any of yours, most Bitcoin hasn't moved. Most Bitcoin that's on exchanges is Bitcoin that's being sold by companies that are mining Bitcoin professionally and need to sell Bitcoin uh, in order to pay their expenses. And in the having that supply of Bitcoin, the miner award gets cut in half. And it's going to get cut in half in perpetuity every four years until no more Bitcoin are issued. And as more and more people want to buy Bitcoin and there's less and less Bitcoin available, supply and demand tells you that, you know, if you've got $10 million and you want to buy $10 million of the Bitcoin, but that's not $10 million worth of Bitcoin to buy, well, you're still buying $10 million of the Bitcoin. You're just getting a lot less Bitcoin for that $10 million. Anyway. I digress. I don't have a crystal ball, and this show isn't really about making price predictions. What this show is about is exploring dollar cost averaging, the news around Bitcoin, and hopefully helping plebs like you and me grow their stack so that when Bitcoin does become mainstream or more mainstream, when there's hyper-Bitcoinization, that we haven't missed out. Before I wrap this up, I want to reach out to you and ask you to help support the podcast and not financially. If you want to send us a shout-out, a boostagram, by all means, that would be awesome. And we will read it on the next episode of the Bitcoin Bullet Podcast. But what I am specifically talking about is help feed that algorithm monster. Regardless of where you're listening, or if you're listening on multiple podcast platforms, please 
make sure you're subscribed to the podcast or that you have uh, that you rate or like the podcast, depending on which app you're using. Uh, but if you do rate or review the podcast, that helps feed the algorithm the monster. If you listen on Spotify sometimes and on Apple Podcasts or Fountain other times, please do so on all three. Don't forget. Don't leave one of them out because uh, that helps more people see the podcast. That helps us get information out to more people to help orange people, orange pill more of the world. And the more plebs that join uh, that that join in on Bitcoin, the more plebs that join us in stacking Bitcoin, the better it is for all of us and the better it is for humanity. Another way you can help feed that algorithm monster is by making sure you're following us on Twitter. On Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod. Uh, if you're not on Twitter, we have a Noster N pub on there, although I must confess that I haven't been on Noster as much as I had in the past, predominantly because I was having trouble with Snort. I was using Snort on my laptop to access Noster. Uh, I have Domus on my phone, but I use that's only for a personal Noster account. So I've been using my personal Noster account like crazy, and I've been neglecting the, the podcast Noster feed. But if you're on Noster, look us up. Our N pub is in the show notes as well. If you're super old-fashioned, you're not on Noster or Twitter, uh, and you just have email, you can go ahead and send us a, an email. That won't feed the algorithm monster, but I still want to hear from you. And our email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. If you're listening to this show in Europe, and if you're listening on Fountain, please send me a DM or comment on my post about this feed on Twitter, or send me an email, or you know, contact me on Noster. And let me know, is the audio quality good or are they still clipping uh, still clipping my audio? If you are listening on Fountain and this show is just unbearable to listen to, please consider switching over to Spotify or Google Podcast or whatever your other backup may be. You can still listen on Podcasting 2.0 on Breeze, for example, uh, because that seems to have fixed the problem. Here in the United States, I have not heard any issues related to Fountain, so I have no idea why. Maybe they're downloading, uh, maybe Fountain's downloading from the RSS and caching at a different data center in, in Europe or using different, uh, different algorithms in Europe related to some other, uh, related to something else entirely. Um, I, I could not tell you. But in the meantime, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. And we will see you again next Wednesday and every Wednesday while we grow this stack together. And until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>